Welcome to Marianne Gebauer podcast. I am so delighted to be joined by British MP Andrew Bridgen. Andrew, thank you for taking the time to chat with me this morning or this afternoon. Well, it's afternoon here. So this afternoon. So for those of you who don't know Andrew, I feel like everyone in the world knows you, Andrew, because you're, you're a very famous MP in the Western Northwest Leicestershire since 2010, successful businessman, but expelled from the Conservative Party this year for speaking out on truth. And I think everyone in the world admires, well, I shouldn't say we all admire, but at least we know what you've done because you've been extraordinary in speaking out. So thank you for that. Um, I do, There's so many topics I want to touch on today. Uh, where should we start? What do you think is the most pressing issue in the UK right now? Well, I was, would give those who um, are uh, going against the narrative and doing their own research um, that... Um, before I was expelled from the Conservative Party, uh, a, a party grandee who's very well known, um, clearly authorised by the party. I had a meeting with him in his office for an hour, explained my concerns around the vaccines and other issues, including the midazolam and morphine, which would have been remdesivir treatments for the elderly in your countries. Um, and at the end of that hour, he didn't dismiss anything I had said, but his comment was that um, there is currently no political appetite, Andrew, for your views on the vaccines. There may well be in 20 years' time, and you're probably going to be proven right. In the meantime, you need to bear in mind that you're taking on the most powerful vested interest in the world with all the personal risk for you that that will entail. And that, at that point, I walked out of the room. Well, you are well known for exposing scandals. Um, you, uh, some of the famous ones are the postmaster scandal, which I want to go into, uh, you know, if you can share a little bit more of that cover up and, and your involvement in that. And also the garment industry, uh, exposing modern slavery and labor abuse in the UK. Uh, so you are um, used to being in this position, I guess, but bring us up to speed a little bit on the postmaster scandal very shortly because there's so many current things to talk about but this gives well, an idea I would say that I, I came into parliament to represent my home area of northwest leicestershire i took the seat from um the labor party um and i came into parliament to try and do what i thought was the right things for my constituents in the country and i've spent most of my time 13 years on the government benches until now um trying to stop bad things being inflicted on the country by my, at the time, own government. And people will say, well, stopping bad and doing good, they're, they're pretty much the same. But it's not as satisfying, is it? You know, stopping bad things happening when we, we should have been doing good things. And, yeah, I've spoken out on a number of issues. When we, within a week of being elected, I was presented with casework from what I thought were two elderly, elderly constituents of mine who'd been convicted of fraud having previously had a blem blemishless um, criminal career, um, you know, they had no criminal record. They'd been sub-postmasters for decades and they'd been convicted of fraud. And they came up with this story, which, and I couldn't think there was anything in it for them to rake it all up unless they were telling me the truth. And they seemed very truthful. So <clears throat> I spoke to a few other colleagues in the House of Commons and said, has anybody else had people who were previously of unblemished character accused and convicted of theft from the post office recently and 
mysteriously quite a few people had and we formed a little group and then we we started investigating well i managed to get a friend of mine we had meetings with the post office who claimed their software system that ran the accounts were perfect a rolls royce system and i managed to ambush the post office and get them to agree that they because they had a perfect system they wouldn't have a problem with us putting a forensic accountant into to check it out and i managed to get a friend of mine in as the, the forensic accountant who was uncorruptible so it wasn't your kpmgs or anything it was a, a small boutique forensic accountancy team at uh, a company called second sight and my friend was ron warmington it was the last job he'd ever do he would do a job i knew and with him he uncovered lots of things that went right but unfortunately the government made the post office pay for the investigator i told the government if you do that the moment they find everything they're going to try and shut the investigation down because that's the nature of the beast and of course they did they were the post office were redacting reports that were due to come to the mps I mean, thankfully, Ron leaked me the unredacted reports and then the post office tried to take him to court for breach of contract for releasing the truth about a scandal of a cover-up. They were covering up the cover-up. Um, and certainly after, within within 12 months of investigating, I knew they were innocent. The 736 convictions. Um, <clears throat> it was actually the computer system that was glitching <clears throat> a lot. And uh, Fujitsu, the people who maintain the computer system, were manually altering accounts in Postmaster's computers without them realising. And they were doing thousands every day. And of course, human nature being what it was, what it is, occasionally they made a mistake and pressed the wrong key. And that then would result in a huge deficit, which wasn't down to the Postmaster. They went to court. The post office has, <clears throat> well, at the time, had prosecution powers, which means they could put anybody into court without going to the police or the Crown Prosecution Service. They just issued court papers, and it was the Crown versus Mr. Smith, the sub-postmaster. They and Barrister always stood up in court and said the system's perfect. Any losses must be theft from the post office, and no one can alter those computers without the sub-postmaster knowing about it. Well, that was, we proved that wasn't true, so every case was unsafe to start with because that was false evidence. And certainly after two years, two and a half years, three years, I had the proof that everything, they were all innocent. And yet the government, they knew, the post office knew, but through litigation and checkbook litigation, because it was the postmasters versus the state, effectively, because the post office is owned by the government, and they dragged it out for another seven years. And what's really interesting <clears throat> is the response of the mainstream media, that I had all this proof that all these convictions, and it was going to be the biggest miscarriage of justice in UK history by number, they were all innocent and um, not one TV station or newspaper would take the story. And I presented to them every few weeks and offered it to them. and said, this is the story of the decade. This is going to be big. And they refused to cover it until it all broke about nine years later. So here, here, exactly this is exactly the same as the response I'm getting. Mm -hmm. about the vaccine harms and the excess deaths it's no different has any legacy media touched the story of the excess deaths or vaccine injuries yet well they they, they, they there's, there's numerous stories um saying that you know having a hot shower can cause you to have heart attacks too much sun too hot too cold eating all sorts of foods apparently can cause you a um, even having sex now is, is very dangerous you can have, you can have a heart attack <laughs> 
as if no one ever did that before. So legacy media is still silent on this massive Well, it's, it's, it's worse, worse than that. I, I had it out. And I won't embarrass the, new, the the mainstream newspaper, but I mean, their, their political editor now, uh, I've been an MP long enough that he was the junior reporter when I first started and he and we had a good relationship and he would ring me every week or fortnight and we'd discuss issues and it was a generally right of centre leaning newspaper and I was happy to brief him uh, with what I thought and I, I just saw him in, in parliament in the lobby and I said look you know the story I want to run with you is that all the newspapers have taken an awful lot of money from the government advertising over Covid and I've got a feeling it's that they're open-ended contracts and you're still taking money. Can we run that story? And he couldn't look me in the face and he looked down and he said, you know we can't run that story. So and he never, rang, he, never, he never rang me ever since. But that's just a coincidence. Another coincidence. There's, a lot, of coinc there's a lot of coincidences right uh, now. Remarkable. Know, well, retired. A retired policeman who's now be sadly dead, passed away. Um, he told me when I was a young man, Andrew, don't if you start believing in coincidences, you, you're losing it. He said because they don't really happen, you know. <laughs> well, your your fellow MPs still. Last time we spoke, no one was brave enough <laughs> to stand beside you. Is anyone standing beside you yet? Esther McVeigh, the MP for Tatton, she has spoken out during recess, but not in the chamber. And she has said that it's she's leading an all party parliamentary group on uh, pandemic recovery. And she's basically saying that um, in her view and her group's view now that the vaccines cause more harm than good. Hey, this is progress. She's, so only, she's only spoken out once. So I'm sure mm -hmm. that someone's had a word with her. What I will tell you is that a very senior minister, and we bear in mind, we're, we're back in Parliament next week. We've had six weeks recess. The last week before we recessed, a very senior minister, she came up to me, again on one-on-one -on -one in, the, in the lobby, and said that uh, I should be aware that her sister had taken the Moderna booster and was now paralysed from the neck down with Guillain-Barre syndrome. And I said, well, of course, you're, you're going to speak out then, aren't you? And... She said no, that her sister didn't want any publicity and they thought that they could probably get her to walk again. I said, well, you don't have to name names. You know. You know, don't you? And then she said, I'm not speaking out. So um, why she told me, I don't, well, to encourage me to speak out? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, peculiar. It's, it, it's peculiar that she would approach you, but then also coupled with the fact that she also will not stand up so what, own, is, what, what 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 do they have on her what what do you suspect are the threats being made oh well i think 75 percent of what's been done to me is is to scare the others and it's worked so far yeah um, i think i think given the, the the shift in public opinion over the the last 10 11 months since i first spoke out i know that my name and the issues I've been raising have been in the top five in the inbox of all MPs in Parliament, and they're not going away. And I think that pressure is going to become irresistible for them, especially as we get nearer and nearer to a general election. Um, you know, I, I said in a speech at the European Parliament a few months ago that uh, 
you know, when the when the public are scared of the politicians, it's tyranny. And when the politicians are scared of the people, that's democracy. Well, that's, mm-hmm. the time when they're most scared is when they've got to face an election. But I mean, there's a lot of colleagues from the House of Commons, they're standing down. A lot of standing, they're running away. Well, it should be very interesting. I I just admire your your brevity and yeah, I, we need more characters with integrity like you, but uh, people are short on, um, uh, how would they say? Well, long on cowardice. It, it seems well, they said to me, on the, they did actually say to me in the media, they said, um, why are you willing to sacrifice your political career and die on the hill of vaccine harms, you know, of all the issues? I said, well, that's the hill you're killing my people on. Yeah, good answer. Well, on uh, another issue that I'm seeing in the media a lot right now is the ultra low emission zone in Greater London. And the whole world is watching this because I do think you're being used as an example to the world. Well, you're a prototype, really. What they're launching in London right now is despicable. Do you want to speak to that, the ULES program and how many people are affected? Give us an update on that. Well, we've had a we've had a, a low emission zone in central London, and the idea of that was to keep unnecessary traffic from central London, which is a busy place, um, and you know, through road charging, get them to go round. It was only a small area relative in, in the centre of London. Um, however, Mayor Sadiq Khan has now extended that to the whole of Greater London into quite. You know, leafy suburbs and, and countryside, um, effectively. And there's a great uh, picture on my uh, Twitter from a, a couple of weeks ago when they were putting their first cameras in. And some some poor people on a cul-de-sac have got it halfway up the cul-de-sac. So there, there actually is no way for them to... They're not in the in the ULES zone, but there's no way, that, way for them to take their car off the drive without paying £12.50 every single time they go off their drive. I mean, this is just insane. It, it is a, an absolute money grab. There, there isn't the, there's only about, out of hundreds and hundreds of test sites in London and greater London, there, there is only about four that are moderate for air pollution. The rest are all good. Um, it is absolutely about taxing people off the road and, and getting money in. Yeah, and and it's not just the Labour Party through Sadiq Khan that's doing this. I mean, I've seen I've, I've produced a letter from Grant Shapps, who's just been made the Defence Secretary today, but he was Transport Secretary at the time. And he, in 2020, he told Khan when Khan said, "You know, I've got no money for uh, transport for London to fund that um, because of the lockdowns." And Grant Shapps' answer was, "Extend the ULES and get the money in." So it was, he was told by the Conservative government to do exactly what he's doing. Um, but now obviously everyone wants to distance themselves from it and say, oh, it's, it's unpopular, politically unpopular. Well, that, that may be the case because it's completely unjust. And what's really interesting that probably your listeners uh, across, uh, across the Atlantic won't realise is that somebody, they've been around tested all this air and, and we haven't got a problem in London. In fact, it's, Every year after year, the air pollution in London is going down, and that's pollution from all sources, not just from mm-hmm. clearly motor vehicles. We've only actually had one recorded death in the in twenty years in the capital where there was any mention of air pollution as being the cause of death, 
And obviously that's not necessarily to do with pollution from cars because there is industrial pollution as well. Um, but ingeniously, uh, some people got the uh, testing equipment and where it was reading above ground in the centre of London, one or two parts, maybe three parts per square metre of, of pollution, they took the same measuring devices down onto the underground and found 150 parts per square metre to 250 parts, which would be clearly mm-hmm. under under all the health guidelines, very damaging for health. And um, he's not doing anything about the pollution on the underground and the bad air. Um, and of course, if he prices people off the roads in the cars, which aren't causing that much pollution, he'll force them onto the underground, which is unhealthy. Well, the irony isn't, isn't the irony, that. The irony that. of that. And, and, but also, we, we've not only got the EULAs, the ultra low emission zone coming in London, we've got low emission zones being put into other cities. So they're the precursor, not quite as bad. So the, the, the standards aren't quite as, as high uh, for fining people. Um, we've got low traffic neighbourhoods being put into towns and smaller cities where the routes out of an area are all closed off. So effectively, there's only one road out of to a main road, and which makes the population far more easier to control should there be another lockdown because there's only one street to put the barrier across to stop people driving their cars out. And also, if you put a camera on that one place, then you can easily find people or for how many trips they go out in their car because there's effectively only one road out of the you know, 2,000 houses and only one real road out. But I mean, the problems it causes for emergency vehicles when there's a fire or an ambulance required, because obviously none of the sat-navs have got all these barriers on that have now been put across all these roads. And, I've, and, and this is the thin end of the wedge. There is some light on the in the tunnel and we are relying on Scottish law, but Glasgow have bought in a, a low emission zone and someone's legally challenged it quite rightly on the basis that there is no bad air in Glasgow at all. So there is no grounds for bringing this in because it's a solution looking for a problem. Yes. Um, and if they win in court, they will have to take all the cameras down because they'll have no reason to have them. And everyone will have to be repaid all the fines. Now, wouldn't that be a strike back? Wouldn't and it? clearly, if the whole city already had air that was qualified as good and london is nearly that anyway there won't be anywhere worse than london i don't think um there is no grounds for any of this yes. and what what but what mayor Sadiq Khan should be doing is cleaning out and putting some better ventilation into the uh into the underground system yes fascinating well so the goal here has nothing really to do with pollution no. The, the real goal here, do you agree, is keeping people in their district, getting them out of their cars, minimizing travel. It, this is control. It is. But I mean, that's going to make the, the roads even more empty when Sadiq Khan and his three Range Rovers who don't pay the emission zone charges, his bodyguards, when their cavalcade zooms through, it'll be empty streets. And he's notorious for when he goes out to a restaurant that his that there are pictures taken of his official vehicles parked on double yellow lines and there's no there's no rules. There's no it's again, rules. It's quite, one, it's one, you know, we've got we've got people advising us who, who have private jets that we can't have our car. Well, because it, it's for the planet. 
And yet, you know, you'll see, you'll hear your mayor make a comment like was cited in The Guardian a few days ago saying there's toxic air in London and we want to prevent London's children from growing up with stunted yeah, it's never been, it's, it's he's, the best he's delusional. It's been. The, 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 there the is best. no issue. The air's the best it's been for 200 years and getting better every year. Yeah, you're not exactly a Mexico city. You know, th this is your air. When I've spent time in London, I've never noticed any issue. It's very fresh. And they're cutting down a lot of trees. And I was told by the Forestry Commission, because of all the parks in London, the green space and the trees in the streets, and there are a lot. If it wasn't for the houses, there are enough trees in London that it would be classed as a forest. It would well, be officially classed as a forest. Well, you probably followed that story with Mark Carney, who was into accused of deforestation. This was back at Christmas. Um, he had a whole bunch of companies in his portfolio. Uh, and essentially, they were involved in heavy deforestation. And I thought, you know, Mark Carney is your former Bank of Canada. He, he did a lot of that. Yeah, and, of that. and it's the hypocrisy. There's such blatant hypocrisy with all of these people. This is nonsense. Do you think that most Brits are beginning to realize that this is a complete and utter scam? This has nothing to do with pollution. This has to do with 15-minute cities and control of movement, etc. And taxation, increased taxation. And taxation. I mean, taxation. Taxes mm -hmm. under a supposedly conservative government for 13 years are the highest they've ever been in my lifetime. It's the, the highest since the Second World War. Um, that takes away people's freedom. And, and quite honestly, it's very difficult for the government to increase those taxes much more because the, the pips are already squeaking. But clearly, then, once you start then fining, effectively fining people for traveling, uh, you're just reducing their income and their freedom even further. Yes. We've got a cost of living crisis. Energy's prices have never been higher. That's another thing you have to pay. Food prices are the highest they've been uh, in living memory and still going higher. These are all things that are unavoidable. So taxes, energy and food, three things you've got to pay. Yeah. Um, they're diminishing people's uh, disposable income. And at the end of the day, my, my you know, I've earned lots of money in, in the past and all that wealth ever gives you or disposable income is, is choices. It doesn't buy you friends, love or happiness, mm -hmm. but it gives you choices. And my definition of real poverty is people who have no choices and they and all of these measures are reducing the public's choices. Yeah. So what do you expect the pushback to be? What, if you were to predict what's coming down the pipe here? Well, I've spoken, I had a briefing a few days ago from people in the American military quite high up with contacts back to the Pentagon. And the, the suspicion is that there's going to be um, lockdown measures bought in, in America. We're going to try uh, masks on the around the 14th, 15th of September, full lockdown by the middle of October and various other nasties in the pipeline. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's the same thing they're looking to bring in in the UK. The public are not going to wear this um, quite honestly they're not going to wear this again mm -hmm. not for not for uh, an omicron variant uh, which which the new variants are they're all from omicron uh, as, as we've probably discussed before you know the the natural progression of a virus is to become it wants to become more transmissible and normally comes becomes less pathogenic which is what we've seen as the movement from delta to the omicron variant effectively the omicron variant was the best christmas present we ever had because it replaced delta which was potentially more dangerous.
mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. from here um, is is pretty mild. I mean, it's a cold for most people. The overwhelming population, it's a cold. There's no danger to young people, healthy young people, or, or healthy people at all. Mm-hmm. The average age mm-hmm. of death is three. I mean, that's actually a year longer than normal mortality in the UK. And I'm afraid, it, given what's been going on, it's falling. You know. Well, I, I had lunch with a couple of doctors yesterday and uh, their view on what is coming down the pipe is that they said people who are vaccinated have compromised immunity. So when the new coronavirus, no matter what it is, comes around, yeah. they are going to feel the effects of that. And then the government will spin it that this is a new dangerous variety and those who are vaccinated better go get their new booster. When in reality, the, 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 the vaccinated are compromised and they will go get a new booster because they're feeling as though something has really hit them that's dangerous. Meanwhile, the unvaccinated are feeling fine. So I think they're targeting the vaccinated with this new booster. Well, well, that all fits exactly with the much publicized Cleveland, Ohio hospital data, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Where they studied, I think it was 51 or 52,000 health workers, massive uh, hospital for three or four months. And their incidence of getting COVID-19 or being affected in the, in the test period was completely proportional to the number of jabs. They got the more jabs, the more people were ill. The, the, the healthiest population at the hospital were the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it clearly indicates that the, well, I mean, it's good business for big pharma because the more of their product you take, the more you need. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so do you think... Do you think that, that the Brits do anything like that? I mean, we've just, we've just uncovered that they're, you know, the, the the scam on antidepressants that depression doesn't even work on the pathway that they predicted. So none of the antidepressants that they've been prescribing and selling for decades. Well, I think most of the Western world, eighteen percent of adults are on antidepressants, yeah, which don't work and never have no, worked. No, serotonin, serotonin has nothing to do with it. Exactly. The, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors are useless. But, but these people, we've got you know, 18, 20% of our, our adults that are now addicted to these antidepressants, which have made big pharma a fortune. Yes. And now they've got to be weaned off them. No. It's, so what do you think the response will be from the vaccinated Brits? Because most British are vaccinated. What do, you, do you think they're beginning to see through the veneer here? Or do you think that they will be com- uh, compliant and rush to get their booster, which will roll out this fall? I don't think, I don't believe the government figures for the number of people that they claim were vaccinated. I don't think they're as high as that. I think there was an element of exaggeration on the government's part mm. to make it herd mentality to get, you know, you know, everyone's getting the, the vaccines, get the vaccines. Mm. I think there's a bigger proportion of our population who are not vaccinated. I suspect there's a lot of people who've got fake documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear of of doctors that were writing exemptions out for two hundred pounds. I think there's a lot of that about. Well, none of those people are going to take it. They didn't take it the first time. Mm-hmm. After all, it's been di- discredited. Um, and I think the whole pandemic response is being well fairly rapidly exposed as for the sham it is, and the shambles it is of misguided policy. So the, the mask mandates, we know the masks don't work. In fact, they're harmful. The lockdowns, all the evidence is they were completely ineffective at reducing deaths. And we know they're 
harmful for well-being, especially of children, and terrible for the economy long term. So they don't work. And, you know, I would say that 80% of people in the UK now know there's something wrong with the vaccines. And they're not actually safe. And well, they certainly can't be effective because they don't stop transmission mm-hmm. or, or contracting the virus. They're, they're technically, they're not really vaccines, are they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just a gene therapy. Um, so I think there'll be a huge reluctance to, to take any more of that. Uh, I will not be wearing a mask. And I, I can't wait. If, if, they, if they mandate it for Parliament, I mean, they'll, they will have to arrest me. I'm glad to hear that. It's it's the compliance on the mass. That is the first issue that to, we need to say to, no. Mm-hmm. When we get when we get into whatever hearing there is about me breaking the rules and not wearing a mask, they will have to demonstrate that it's good for me. And I don't think they scientifically can. Not only do they help, they do not help you, but also the the carbon dioxide can't be good for the brain. I hate I, I hate wearing oh, them. They make yeah. me feel terribly uncomfortable. Absolutely, um, they give me a headache. I uh, I I can't wear them. So and they're very 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 bad for children. Very bad. So I I'm 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 really delighted to hear your optimism. I suspect that this could be a big flop in the UK because my sense when I was there in June is that the Brits are talking. They're back in the pubs, they're sharing stories, and they're getting angry. Well, you've got to remember, uh, Marianne, that there's, there might be 650 MPs, most of which appear to at least publicly be in denial of the science and the facts, and probably 850 members of the House of Lords. But there are 4,000 real people who work in Parliament. They are the cooks, the cleaners, the security guards, the clerks, the police, and, and they all know. I mean, 80% of them have spoken to me privately over the last 10 months and said, keep going, you know, you're absolutely on them. When I've got black ladies who I've never spoken to before who are cleaners in the House of Commons coming up to me and whispering in my ear that everyone in the prayer group is praying for you, we can't lose. No, no. You're a man of the people at this point. You know, when you were... um turfed out of parliament earlier this year you mentioned that you got a phone call from someone i found that quite fascinating do you want to share that well i wasn't turfed out of parliament i was turfed out of the conservative Th- party. sorry sorry yeah parliament yeah i mean i was suspended on the i think it was the 11th of january they did an investigation decided they were going to recommend that i was permanently expelled from the party for anti-semitism um which apparently is retweeting a jewish person who said that the vaccine rollout was the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I'm coming, I think we're all coming around to the idea it's probably worse than the Holocaust now. Mm-hmm. Um, that apparently was anti-Semitic and um, I was thrown out of the party summarily. Uh, I was given 28 days to appeal and I, I would have appealed and said, this is just not tenable to say that there's a, you know, it's not, I'm not saying it's more, than the, than the Holocaust. I'm using the Holocaust as a timeline and saying since, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. in my statement, effectively retweeting, I'm, you own it. So I'm saying that the Holocaust was the worst crime against humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, they, they, the party then said to me, you can have 28 days to appeal, but there can't be any appeal if anything about the investigation comes out. So I said, okay. And then they leaked it out 
to the press that I, after two weeks, that I'd been expelled because I'd sent my papers in, which were asking them a lot of questions about how they'd done this investigation into me and how they came to any of these conclusions. Um, and uh, they didn't like that, so they didn't want to go to an appeal, so they leaked it, which meant I couldn't appeal. My my appeal fell, and and uh, what was interesting was that, you know, they do say in politics, if you want a friend, get yourself a dog. But I mean, I've served in that parliament for thirteen over thirteen years, uh, four general election victories, and you know, I thought I had some friends in that in that place. Not one of my colleagues texted me or rang me when the news came out that I'd been permanently expelled. But within an hour, I got a lovely personal phone call on my mobile from um, the presidential candidate, Robert Kennedy Jr. That speaks um, volumes. That speaks volumes. And he, and he said that he thought it was disgraceful what they'd done to me. And he thought I was you know, very courageous. And he said he would endorse me and support me. And he has done. And we're not necessarily always politically aligned, um, mm -hmm. but we're not we're not in the politics of right and left anymore. This is the politics of right and wrong, yes. and it's so wrong. Yes. There's no difference between the Labour Party and the Conservative Party in the UK or any of the other major parties. They all agree on the lockdowns, uh, the vaccines, the mandates. Uh, they all agree on net zero, which is the next scam that they're, they're, they're terrifying the people with. Um, and they agree... You know, secretly that they all they might try and play a bit of pantomime but they all agree on uh, removing the car use so when I'm you when, all, all those horses are in the same stable exactly this is not a i agree with you this is not a political issue it's fundamentally right versus wrong good versus evil uh when you speak to people who are still buying the narrative of a climate crisis how do you respond to that because this is what we're up against in Canada. The vast majority of people believe we're in a real crunch the time. People, the younger generations have had the full propaganda through our education system, which mm -hmm. is effectively political indoctrination. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it is the same narrative, and it's the same people behind it, and the same people are ultimately profiting from it. So whenever anyone says to you about science that the narrative is settled, that is just not the way science works. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be open for challenge, and theories however excellent need to be refined as you know i think it was einstein that said when that when when the evidence changes i change my mind what do you do you know um well i mean you, you know science is never fixed mm -hmm. it's never fixed mm -hmm. so whenever they tell you i think whenever they tell you it's a global issue and it has to the only solution is a global problem and the science is fixed i think you should the alarm bell should just start ringing because that isn't the way anything works and you know, we can't debate. Uh, I, I spoke out against it. We had a debate before recess, a couple of weeks before recess. Uh, I think there were 15 speakers in that debate. I was the only one that raised any concerns. And I said, you know, net zero is completely unnecessary. We're not in a climate crisis. And even if we did everything that you want us to do, and say cost of probably somewhere between three and five trillion, mm -hmm. 5,000 billion pounds, which we don't have at the moment. Um, we are around about 1% of world emissions and it won't make any difference. And China are increasing their emissions by more than the whole of the UK's emissions every year. And they're going to carry on doing it until at least the end of the decade. Yeah. And I mean, uh, impoverishing the Western world is not going to sort these problems out. No. And CO2 only reflects, when I heard the number, I was aghast. 
0.04% of the atmosphere is CO2. What, well, what are we getting fucked about? 400 this, parts per million. That's, yes, that's where we yes. So if we move, if we move the meter on that a wee bit, who cares? This is so, it's such a ridiculous issue. I, I don't understand how someone who has the ability to think critically can not wrap their head around this fact. This is a joke. Also, you've got to bear in mind that we did have lockdowns and now they're talking about environmental lockdowns. Well, when we had the lockdowns in the UK, people weren't traveling and the airlines weren't flying, it only actually reduced emissions by about 8%. But that didn't make any difference to atmospheric carbon dioxide levels. So what sort of of lockdowns do they think would have an effect and how severe would they have to be and how long would they have to be? Well, I mean, this is is the science of the madhouse. Um, We're bringing in policies, the the government with the opposition support, and it's not just our parliament, but around the world, about bringing in policies consistently to make make our uh, our people colder and poorer. Yeah. And of course, there's huge attacks now on on the food supply chain and food production. UK, we only produce about fifty five percent of the food that we consume. Mm-hmm. We are a, a, a small and populous country, and our biggest food importers are Holland, because it's very near and um, the Republic of Ireland, which is very rural, and that's near. But I mean, they're not only hitting our farmers, you know, there's 3,000 farms that the government in Holland are trying to take off us, half, nearly half the farms in Holland, they won't have any exports for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're ordering coals of cattle and various other attacks on the farmers in the Republic of Ireland. Well, I mean, all that food would be coming to the UK. Yes. The, the, and what and a I'm crisis. Sure, I'm sure that if you're an environmentalist, I mean, if we have to bring food in from a lot further away, how can that be green? Or perhaps we're not going to have food. Perhaps you won't. Ultimately, perhaps you will not have food. You will have well, nothing. We, well, if, and be happy. And be happy. Well, you won't have food. You I, won't I, have I, the ability to travel. I, you won't I, have money to. Uh, it, it's, it's such an Orwellian sort of situation here that. Um, it's almost it, unbelievable that we could be even contemplating yeah. this situation and giving those powers to the WHO to declare a uh, public health emergency of international concern, effectively form a world government to control all aspects of our lives, yeah. that any parliament would vote to make themselves effectively redundant, yeah. renege on their responsibility to defend the rights of, of their citizens. I, I just can't believe it. Yet so, nations, I mean, nations will not have any power. No. When these... Say, the, these bodies are, will supersede. Supranational bodies who are unaccountable, unelected, and have um, diplomatic immunity for themselves and all their families. Many of them need it, uh, given the uh, allegations against them before they joined the WHO. I don't think they'll be leaving. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anyone um, more uh, less uh, appropriate to be making those decisions of whether my constituents are locked down, have to wear masks and mandatory um, medications. I mean, this this is an abdication of any elected assembly to give the powers. I don't think we have any right to do that. I'll never agree to it. I'll never vote for it. Um, there would have to be a referendum to give those sort of sovereign yeah. powers away. They'd never get it through, so they won't have one. Um, I don't think they're even going to give us a vote on the amendments to the international health regulations. No. We, by public petition, we should have a debate on it 
which I've asked the government when we're going to have this debate, uh, because we're, we're, we've hit over 100,000 signatures for a debate on that. We did have a debate on by public petition again, that's the only way you can get one, on, uh, on the uh, International Pandemic Treaty, the Accord, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the WHO. Uh, was very sparsely attended. I, I gave a speech again in that uh, in, in that debate. Um, there's so many things we can't talk about in our democracy. We can't talk about vaccine harms or should get cancelled. We certainly can't talk about the excess deaths. I've been asking for a debate on that every week for nine months. Never happens. So I just don't come up in the in the shuffle. Don't get. And when I went to the Labour Party and said, "Look, with your cooperation, I can guarantee we get this debate." because we'll have cross-party support. And you will be able to stand up in that debate. And if you wanted to make the political point, you could say the Conservative Party have run our health service into the ground, and that's why all these people are dying. You could make that political point. And I will give my speech about the reasons I think we've got these excess deaths. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me and said, Andrew, we don't want to talk about it. And if that's what you want to talk about, you've come to the wrong pub. So when... The Labour Party don't want to score political points against the government on something like excess deaths, something which is affecting yes. my constituency and every community across our land and across areas of the world that were heavily vaccinated. There's something seriously wrong with our democracy. And, and it really gets to me because the symbol of our parliament in the UK is a portcullis and it is the last defence of the castle we're supposed to be the last defence of democracy and the freedoms of our people. I think our keep's already been taken, quite honestly, and we have not defended the people at all. No. And uh, I'm afraid the people are going to have to defend themselves. What does that look like? What does what look like? Defending well, yourself. Uh, defending yourself in, in practical terms. Well, Non-compliance, or how, how do you think this plays absolutely, out? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. No is a very small word unless enough people say it, when the case of a big meaning. And I will say no to any restrictions. Um, if they, I will go to Parliament, even if they declare that, you know, we've got to do it all remotely, I'm going to go to Parliament, I'm not going to wear a mask. This is crazy. This is, you know, follow the science. We have done anything but follow the science. Well, I think this is a good place to end. I think that is a, it's like a battle cry. The, I like your, your comment about the word no being the smallest word, but perhaps the most important word in the English vocabulary. And people need to understand the power of that word and start using it. Well, well also, I think, um, I think we need to, all elected representatives need to remember that we are the servants of the people. We're not their masters. At the end of the day, we work for the people. We work for you, or we should be. Mm -hmm. um, you're not to be mandated by, you're not to be mandated and told what to do. It's, it's a servant-master relationship that way around. I am your, I'm the people's employee. Yeah? And how we've got to a situation where we're dictating to the people what they're going to do when we're supposed to be in a democracy it is beyond me, quite honestly. Yes. I mean, yes. not how it is. And we, never should. We, we are not living in any of our Western countries. There is no democracy. I, I can't I come this back is to a my, tier. Yeah. What, what I said at the European Parliament, which actually got a standing ovation, which wasn't on my bucket list as a, as a Brexiteer and took it, helped us to get us out of the European Union. But I mean, on that, on that is this issue, which is so important, 
it's exactly the same. It's not just in the UK. It's not just in America or Canada or Australia, New Zealand or Europe. It's across the world what, what's going on. But the people are currently scared of the politicians because they don't know what they're going to inflict on the next. Well, mm -hmm. that needs to stop. And I'm afraid the politicians do need to be scared of the people. And I think that's coming now. A salutary lesson. I, I hope so. I hope you're right. Because it, there, there's no point in trying to reason with these politicians. Obviously, they're compromised. You can't write this off as incompetence or ignorance. There's no other way to explain their silence and their refusal and to stand up for the, for the, it, the citizens. Isn't it amazing that, 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 that all of our governments are making the same mistakes and the same bad decisions on the same issues yeah. at the same time all yeah. over the world? And we haven't even touched on the fact that what's going on in our schools and the sexualization of mm -hmm. our children, totally inappropriate. And obviously, I mean, I'm sure you've got this indoctrination with uh, transitioning and social mm -hmm. transition. It's being they're, they're, coming, they're coming hard after the children. They're, com they're coming for the children. It, it's yeah. always about the children. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Oh. They're, not going to win. they're not going to win. I, I wanted to quickly chat with you about the, the airline kerfuffle this week. What, it's amazing. What, uh, it's remarkable. I, I can't believe that we had some sort of input glitch and it took down the whole of our uh, our NATS system, which controls all the air traffic over our, yeah. our airspace. Uh, the, the busiest weekend when people were coming back from their holidays, um, mm -hmm. one of my uh, my one of my parliamentary assistants, she'd been on holiday with her family. She's got two small children, massive delays. It's almost, it's, it's very similar. They're making every car journey a nightmare because of the cameras and the fines and the U.S. and the LTNs and the roads that are shut all the time. And it's almost like they, they don't want you to travel by air anymore because that's now very inconvenient. I'm flying off tomorrow morning to Copenhagen to speak mm -hmm. in a conference over there. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that journey goes. Yes, yes. Well, you have train strikes too in England. Yeah, I've got to. I've got to drive to Heathrow at. Uh, I've got to leave here at three in the morning and drive to Heathrow uh, because there is a tube strike. Um, but I mean, at least the air will be fresher in the car, won't it? Than obviously on the tube. I think that little bit of information is fascinating. Good for someone to go down and check that air quality down in your tube. It, you're talking about it was multiples of ten. 20, 30, 40, 50 times, 60 times worse than the, as soon as they came out the tube station back up to the roads, it was back down to one, two points. Fre fresh air. Come up with fresh. the cars and you've got fresh air. Go down into the metro. Uh, you have one last issue I wanted to ask you on because it seems as though the UK led in this criminality is the Medazolam. What's the latest on that? I, I'm heartbroken as that whole story has broken. What what do you think has gone on here? Well, it looks, I, I asked the, the government uh, written questions, uh, which is, I thought were quite reasonable. I asked them for the number of elderly individuals who, who were moved out of hospital in uh, February, March, April, 2020, to make way for the anticipated first wave of COVID patients. They were moved from hospital into care homes and nursing homes. And then I asked, and how many had died, passed away after 7, 14, 21, 28, 56, etc. days 
of A, on their death certificate, COVID-19, or B, of the causes. And the government came back and said, we don't hold that data. So they, what they're saying is they have no idea how many elderly people, which um, it was probably something like 30, 35,000, maybe 40,000, were taken out of hospital, put into care homes, a lot of them without their medication or medical notes. I'll tell you the answer. Most of them were dead within six weeks. And they were all put down, most of the majority, vast overwhelming majority were put down as COVID patients, of, of COVID deaths, which is why the average age mortality with COVID was 83. That created the first wave and also created the hysteria to push along the vaccination. Um, they were put on a cocktail of midazolam and morphine, which was pre-bought in. You know, we used nearly two or three years supply in 10 months in the, the NHS. I've seen it. I've got all the evidence for that. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. held, a, held a meeting in Parliament some months ago, back in June. Uh, 70 bereaved families came and gave their evidence to me. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Um, and, all, and, and the evidence is that in, around the world, it was mostly remdesivir and opiates that were used. Obviously, it was midazolam and morphine in the UK, but mm -hmm. um, the same outcome. Um, it looks appalling. It looks absolutely appalling. Um, and we need to get to the truth on that. But I mean, there's just, there are so many campaigns that I need to be involved in. Another mm -hmm. campaign I'm involved mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you're aware of, is that um, it's now clear that our armed forces were experimented on by vaccines in 1991 before they were vaccinated multiple times before the Gulf War. That's what Gulf War syndrome is. It only It's only shown up in the nations of the Five Eyes and Danish troops because they were the only ones who were vaccinated. We've actually got troops who have got Gulf War syndrome who were vaccinated and never deployed to theatre. They remained in the UK and they've got it. But none of the nations, none of the other 32 nations have got it. Only the vaccinated ones. That, interestingly, was on the point of coming to court just before COVID-19 erupted. Can you imagine? Well, that, isn't, that, isn't that convenient? Isn't that, well, it's so despicable that you've got your youngest, your, your military set being used as lab rats. And I've got I've got the papers that have now been released as part of that disclosure for that court case, where they they they, they noted even two weeks before the vaccines that all the animals that in, uh, injected with these vaccines uh, had suddenly lost a lot of weight and looked really ill and weak. Um, it's, you're talking about a million a million of our troops, the Americans, the Canadians, Australians, New Zealanders, the UK, and uh, but of course, it's so obvious because you've got, say, people who were never deployed to theatre who were vaccinated, who got it, got Gulf War mm -hmm. syndrome. You've got mm -hmm. a, ship, a ship of the Five Eyes nations that never got within 500 miles of, of the battleground itself. Yes. They've got it. But the French ship next door hasn't got it because they, they weren't vaccinated. And they fought that off. I mean, they've covered that up for 30 years. That's going to have to break. Oh. So, so no wonder they think they can cover up the vaccine harms for 20 I'm, I'm determined that's not going to happen. That won't do for me. Um, and the government will say, you know, I, I'm a conspiracy theorist. They have to throw me out of the party. But I, I spoke out twice. I spoke out on the 13th of December when the MHRA in the UK wanted to vaccinate down to six months of age. And they never answered any of my questions, but it got lots of publicity around the speech, even though it was dropped by the mainstream media. And my government never 
dared authorize healthy small children to be vaccinated. The rest of the world did. And I spoke out on the 17th of March. The next time they gave me a debate, they just don't give me debates anymore. I just don't get the debates. I've been putting for debates. So the last debate I had was 17th of March. I've never been able to speak in, a, in my own debate since on an issue I actually wanted to speak about. I've never, never managed to get one. Um, and I pointed out that the government's own data that had just released on the efficacy and safety of the boosters, and one of them showed that I think it was healthy 40 to 49-year-olds you had to vaccinate boost. 934,000 individuals to keep one person from being in hospital. These are the government's own figures from uh, presenting in, in hospital with COVID. 934,000. So look at the cost of that at sort of 40 or 50 pounds a shot. Yes. So you, you, you're talking what, you know, um, 45 million pounds to keep one person. And that's not going to intensive care. If you want to go to intensive care, that's multiple times more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the government didn't answer any of my questions. I went through all the age groups and pointed out that the only the only data they'd got was for the over 70s with comorbidities, the most more, the most vulnerable group in our society, which were all grouped together, over 70s with comorbidities. The risk, uh, bear in mind that the risk from a harm, a serious harm from the vaccine is about one in 800 initially. I'm not sure what the long term harms are, but that's the initial Harms one in eight hundred, and their chance, and that that reduced it exactly the same one in eight hundred chance of presenting in hospital with COVID. So all they were doing was swapping one risk, actually, for another risk. And two weeks after that, my government said it was all rubbish. My speech was all rubbish, but no one else had said it. Um, but then they changed the criteria that only the over seventy fives could have the boosters. So. They'll have to do some backtracking to try and get everyone boosted again. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll be there with a lot of scientific support. Well, they're, they're coming hard right now in Canada. They're getting yes. everyone warmed up. They say the vaccine is not quite ready yet, but it's coming and it's oh, going it's, to be combined with the flu. Yes, yes, it's coming. And hold your breath. It's, it's you know, it, it's on the, um, I'd say in the next month, it will be released. And there but will be a stampede of a certain sort. There will be a stampede to the door. Hang on. This is not a booster now or a new vaccination. This is an IQ test. Yeah. Do your own research. I mean, you've just, they've just sold you, they wanted to sell you five. Joe Biden's just said this next one's going to work. Well, that, that indicates that the previous five you've had didn't work or didn't work how they should have done. And I wouldn't want to buy any more from that uh, salesman. Oh, your comment about this being an IQ test, you're right. But the most clever people I know are failing the IQ test. I know, I know, because they, they, they don't want to believe. I, I, I've sat down and I have got science background from a long time ago at university, which just happened to be all the right subjects, you know, virology mm -hmm. and genetics and biochemistry and mm -hmm. behaviour. And, uh, and and they know, they know I'm telling the truth and then they yeah, but they're doing very well the way society is and their vision of how the world is. They're, they're prospering. Mm -hmm. They've got good positions. And um, they just turn around to me and say, they don't say, Andrew, you're not telling the truth. A lot of them just turn around and say, I don't want to know. I don't want, this is it. It's willful ignorance. Want... It's willful ignorance. If, well, if you're set and you're doing well. Mm -hmm. Cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, when you realise 
what's been going on. It's been going on for quite a while. We haven't realised. I mean, it's it, it rocks your world. But oh. I mean, I think you know, I want, I want, you know, I'd I'd love to live in the world the way I wanted to live, but unfortunately, we have to live in the world the way it is. And when we appreciate that, we might have a chance to make it better. But until we do, we won't. Well, Andrew Bridgen, I really appreciate the time that you've given me today. I have um, <laughs> run over a little and I know you're getting ready to depart tomorrow morning. So thank you so much for your courage. And you are, I wish there were more, we need to clone more politicians like you. You're, you're really uh, an extraordinary politician at this time and books will be written about you. You're a wonderful example and such an inspiration. So thank you. Thank you for standing very, firm. And very, I, very... I, I just, uh, I don't know where the other politicians what, what, what are like any, you. What, You're what, standing what, alone. What, what, what other thing would any decent person do? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, we just, you're a, you're a hero. You're an international hero. And thank you. Thank you for your work. And keep it up. And you're looking healthy. I know that you're vaccinated, and I'm sure that you're doing every protocol to help. I'm, you know, I'm doing what I. Yeah, I'm doing what I. Yeah. I want to. I definitely want to be here to see how this plays out. Absolutely. Well, and it, ultimately, I think we will win this battle, but it could get ugly. And I think uh, oh, it's, it's going yeah. to get worse, unfortunately, before it gets better. I think we all absolutely, appreciate. absolutely. So, just keep the faith. Yes.